You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for your mercy for us through the night. We pray for Yvonne, that she'll feel better. And uh, we thank you for the opportunity we have here to talk about uh, good stories to disciple our, our young little friends at church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're talking about actions and point of view. Um, the, all of the uh, PowerPoints, the PDFs of the PowerPoints are available at this website. So if you wanna write it down or take a picture of it or whatever, you know, feel for free. It's just, it's just the, uh, the conference office, michigansda.org, and then slash seminar handouts. And uh, you can get them all there. Uh, one here said to me that uh, she won't know how to do how to tell stories because uh, all these complicated uh, PowerPoint <laughs> slides. So you know, if it if it's too complicated, just forget that part. Just enjoy telling stories and you know thinking about how to do them well, um, and uh, it, it, it'll be fine. Okay. Well, this story comes from a long, long time ago, and uh, Johnny ran into the house and said, "Mommy, mommy," he said. Can I go to down the lake shore because uh, Jesus is going to be talking to people today? And mother said, really, he's coming to our side of the lake? Isn't it kind of dry over here? Yes, mommy, but I heard he's coming. There are many people who are walking where he's going. Can I go, can I go? Well, said mother, did you do your chores this morning? Oh yes, he said, I, I made my bed, he said, and I, I carried the water. Did you bring the wood? Yes, I brought the wood too. Well, all right. I think that'll be all right. Okay, mommy, I'll see you later. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Where do you think you're going? You forgot something. Forgot something? Yes, your lunch, silly. Here's your lunch. I made a little lunch. I thought you might want to go hear Jesus today. And I made a little lunch, five loaves of barley and two fish. That will be just enough for you. Okay, thank you, Mommy. And he took the little basket and he started walking. And it wasn't hard to find where Jesus was because wherever Jesus was, there were lots and lots of people. Well, Johnny being small, he could kind of, you know, get in between people and he got up close to where Jesus was and started listening to him. Jesus was a wonderful storyteller. And so Johnny had a wonderful day sitting and listening to Jesus. In fact, it was so good that he forgot about his lunch. And the day went by, the sun went up to the middle of the sky and started going down in the west of the sky. And then Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Master, you need to send the people away so that they can get food. It's late in the day and there's no place for them to eat here. Oh, said Jesus, no, no, he said, you'll give them something to eat. And the disciples were like, what? Master, look at these people. There's thousands and thousands of people here. And if we went and just spent all of our money, all of them would just get a little tiny piece. Well, Jesus said, go see what you have. And so the disciples spread out and they started looking around to see what kind of amount of food they might have. Well, Johnny was listening to all of this and he came and pulled on the robe of one of the disciples named Andrew. And he says, Mr. Mr., can I help you? And he said, son, I'm sorry, I'm busy, I'm looking for something. No, no, mister, I have something I need to tell you. Sorry, son, we're really busy, Jesus needs our help. No, 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 he said, I have something to tell you. Oh, all right, he said, what is it you want to tell me? Well, he said, 
I brought my lunch and I heard Jesus was hungry and he could have my lunch. And Andrew said, wow, that's really sweet. What's your name? Uh, Johnny's my name. Johnny, where do you live? Just down the lake down over there someplace. Well, I'll tell you what, Johnny. Why don't you come with me and you can tell Jesus yourself. Oh, said Johnny, that would be great. So he took his lunch and Andrew came to Jesus and said, Master, he said, there's a little boy here who wants to give his lunch to you. He has five loaves and two fish, but what's that going to do for all these people? And Jesus said, what is your name, young man? Johnny, he said. Well, Johnny, that's really sweet of you. I'll tell you what, why don't you sit down here with me and let's see what we can do. So Jesus sat down and he took one of the pieces of bread that Johnny had brought and he lifted it up and he said, Oh, Father, bless this food for this multitude. Amen. And then he started to break the bread and hand it to the disciples. He said, Now you take the bread and give it to the people. And Johnny was watching very closely because he knew there were only five loaves and two fish and that wasn't going to feed more than really somebody like him. So he was watching what Jesus was doing and he was breaking the loaves and it was the strangest thing. It seemed like there was always bread in Jesus' hands and Johnny was watching. Jesus reached down and picked up another loaf and started breaking it and handing it to the disciples. They kept going and coming back and going and coming back, giving to all the people who were seated out there. 5,000 men plus women and children and he kept going. He picked up one of the fish and broke it and he just kept going and going and going and Johnny's eyes got bigger and bigger. So he watched what Jesus was doing. His, his five loaves and two fishes were feeding this entire multitude. And when they had broke, he'd broken all of that food and he had sent it all out and there were still some left. Jesus said, now it's time for us to eat. And the disciples sat down and Johnny sat down. Jesus said, come over here, Johnny. You sit, you sit on my lap. He said, you can eat with me. And he gave some of the bread to Johnny and he gave some of the fish and they all ate and they were all satisfied. And then Jesus said to the disciples, now go gather what's left over because nothing should be lost. So the disciples spread out with big baskets and they collected all the leftover pieces and there were 12 big baskets of bread and fish left over. And Jesus looked at Johnny's little basket and he said, Johnny, come here. And he took out of one of the baskets a bunch of fish, bunch of bread, and he piled his basket high. And he said, Jesus didn't have a cell phone. He said, Jesus said, and now I will feed your, your family supper tonight. Oh, thank you, Johnny said. And he took his picked up his basket. It was a bit heavy and he started walking home. But that basket was really heavy. So whew, every now and then he had to rest. And he got and he came inside the house and he said, Mommy, Mommy, look what I have. And mother looked at his basket heaped with bread and fish. She said, Johnny, have you been stealing from people? Oh, no, 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 no. He said, Mommy, I went to, to Jesus to hear him talk and it was so good I forgot my lunch all day long and then at the end nobody had anything to eat and I gave my food to Jesus and he broke it and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children and there were 12 baskets left over and Jesus gave me this big pile of food and he said it would be for our family for supper tonight.
Mother said, oh, that is amazing. That is amazing. She took and set it on the table. She looked at all that bread and fish and she thought for a moment. She said, Johnny, you know what this means? Whenever you give to Jesus, you always get back more than what you gave. Amen. That's the end of the story. Okay, so we're getting used to this. So uh, what did you notice about this story? I like the name Johnny. Okay, thank you. Oh, you're waving high. Okay, hi. Well, glad you were able to make it. You were talking to me. You missed the story, but it's on the recording. But, uh, <laughs> All right, so what else did you have? The character what? The character told the moral of the story. Yes, the mother did. Right. And, and I like that you expanded just a little bit at the end because I think we've all heard about the twelve loaves and fishes and you know the the, the twelve baskets left over. Mm -hmm. You know the, the fishing and the feeding of the five thousand. But telling it from the child's view mm -hmm. was awesome because mm -hmm. we don't really you know we hear in the Bible we read about the children we don't we don't we don't understand you know it's just it was mm -hmm. just for me it was neat to hear the child's. Perspective. Yeah, so, so yeah. I, I've always wondered with that story, which is a lovely story. Mm -hmm. Where did they get the 12 baskets? Does people just show up with empty big uh, No, baskets? actually, there's actually, there, of course, there's two feedings. There's a five feeding, a 5,000 feeding, and a 4,000. And there's two, different, there's two different kinds of baskets, actually. The name of the baskets are different. Uh, the one basket for the feeding of 5,000, if I remember correctly, uh, they were large baskets. And these would be baskets that they might carry with them. Uh, for supplies and different things. And then the, the feeding of 4,000 is smaller baskets, seven baskets that they So that they just get. normal for people to carry around an empty basket in case. Well, you know, when you're, when you're, now, so when you think about Jesus and his disciples uh, traveling about, we, we you know, the, the gospels never tell us about these details too much. And so we don't tend to think of it. But uh, when Jesus traveled around, it was probably a, a good group of people who traveled with him. Uh, people who supported his ministry. Um, and Luke makes some reference to that. Uh, when Jesus sent out the disciples on their missionary journey, you do get um, some feel for what was typical of a traveler. He said, don't take two tunics, you know, don't take a walking stick, don't take money in your belt. They were supposed to, when they went out on a mission, they were supposed to travel really light, really light, so they could move quickly, but also so that they would be dependent upon the people that they brought the message to. And that's, it's actually a very important mission concept is that when you, when, well, Paul said it, when I am weak, then am I strong. So when you depend on other people, they actually become more open to you. So uh, it's kind of a deep mission concept. But there you see some of the things that they would ha have, you know, I mean, you think about this, if you didn't have a donkey or something or ox or something to how what is in the world did you carry with you and the Jews were known for carrying baskets mm -hmm. uh, I, one of the things that uh, I, I came back to the church in uh, 2017 and um, I've learned a lot mm -hmm. and I'm still learning mm -hmm. but one of the things I've learned is uh, especially with the, the minister that we we no longer have he, he's just left uh, the Michigan Conference and gone back to North Carolina. But he knew a lot of the, this is traditional for that era, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So you could. It's called background the, information. Yeah. yeah. More background information. 
So I'm thinking about the Bible books that I grew up with because I went, you know, through the Adventist school system. Mm-hmm. We need a new uh, teach your kid about the Bible Bible book that includes that background information. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, some of us at the seminary and uh, and elsewhere around the world have been working on a new Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary for the last 12 years. And, uh, is the, this the Andrew? No, the, no, no. Oh, thank you. The Andrews one is <laughs> the Andrews one is good too. It's two volumes. This new one will probably be about fifteen or twenty volumes. Oh yeah. Well, sign me up for that. Yeah. I well, it, no, it'll be coming the, the first the version or the first uh, the first volume uh, uh, is going to be coming out shortly uh, by Pacific Press. It'll have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon. Um, I've written the uh, commentary on the Gospel of Mark. Well, I wrote the Gospel of Mark commentary for both, for the Andrews one and for the SDAIBC, Seventh-day oh, Adventist International Bible Commentary. And the um, the Andrews one, my Mark commentary was 43,000 words. For the new uh, SDA Bible commentary, my commentary is like 200,000 words. So about well, right, six hundred and sixty pages so far. Cool. So, yeah, um, I use, I, I'm doing my lesson study. Do you like you like this? On the desk but, with me. but there are there are good books. If you want a good book on background information about the ancient world, yeah. uh, let me give you a uh, title. Um, it's by um, no, I'll see if I can remember the title of the book. It's by Ferguson. <laughs> is his name? Ferguson, I think it is, and oh my goodness, what's the name of that book? I'll I'll, I'll look it up and give it, bring it to you. Ferguson's um, um, background of uh, I think it's like background of uh, Christianity. So it's about New Testament stuff. Doesn't quite sound right. I'll, I'll I'll verify that and let you know. But it has tremendous. What's that? Background of early Christianity. Yeah, background of early Christianity. Ferguson. Yeah, it, it's a wonderful book, just filled with detail um, of all kinds of things of what people would wear and see. There's also a uh, series of uh, like five, four or five books by Baker um that is about just similar kind of background stuff there's a lot of these books available these days actually that are are very helpful okay um this story differed from the other stories in what way how did you tell today well you're talking about point of view today and you told it from the little lad's point of view so yes it was actually a story i was looking at telling so uh-huh. i just read it yesterday and there were a lot of details that you missed out, but he probably wouldn't have seen those details. I'm sorry, say again? There were some details you missed out of the story, mm-hmm. but the little lad probably didn't see those details. Details like? Um, <coughs> why Jesus was traveling in the boat and why people were yes. following him around. Right, right. Yeah, I, I kind of referenced that a bit yeah. with the mother saying, this is a desert spot. This was the eastern shore. Yeah. Uh, he had left to, to go... Uh, to find rest and things like that. So that's actually part of the gospel. You're right. Why didn't I tell that part? I'm telling from the eyes of the little boy. It doesn't hit your main. Doesn't hit the main sentence. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, the the sermonic idea or the story idea 
um, is about giving to Jesus and you receive back more. And that part of the story, which is part of the gospel story, wasn't as relevant to tell. See, so then you leave some of those kind of things out. You can add them in, you can tell them. I sort of referenced it a bit, um, you know, where, where he was on the shore, if, you, if you're well acquainted with the story. Yeah, so this was told from the point of view of the little boy. So I wanna now go through the slides and uh, talk a little bit about um, these things. Uh, again, if this, if this is like too complicated, don't let it bother you. Just think about telling stories well. Okay, so uh, the few do's and don'ts that we had before, do not talk down to children. Do not tell the story in a boring way. Never ever tell the moral of the story. I don't know if I should say never ever, but pretty much never ever. Uh, do tell the story with enthusiasm. Do become the characters in the story. You notice as I was telling the story how I became, I became Johnny, I became Andrew, I became Jesus, I became his mother. You know, you're, you're, you're shifting around from, from character to character. And as you do so, uh, you probably want to think in terms of getting into character, right? And, and, and thinking how would they respond, how would they act? And of course, Johnny here, his eyes get really big as he sees what Jesus is doing, the miracle with his little lunch. Do involve the children in the story. Do tell the story slowly enough that all can follow. Find your story, imagine what it would be like, their emotions, their words, their facial expressions. It's good to practice this over. A uh, certain amount of exaggeration is acceptable. Be true to the story, practice the story. Right, okay, so what we've learned so far. Plot is the direction a story is going, moving from problem to resolution. Characters are the people in the story who carry out the plot. Settings and props are the places and tools in the story. So today, actions. Actions are the physical events, the speeches, and even the thoughts and feelings of characters which occur within the story. So actions are a broad category. You know, it's not just something people do. It's also their, their, their thinking is involved in this. Actions are the baby steps of plot. Now see, that's, that's a key statement. Actions are the baby steps of plot. You have plot, which is, has these you know, three to five characteristics that we've referred to in that first day. And that's the big structure of the story. But then if you take each one of those aspects and you break it down, that's the actions, the baby steps of the plot. They break down each plot step into smaller steps, right? Now this is where it gets a little bit complicated sometimes. Well, not this. Point of view is the angle from which the story is told in whose voice it is presented. And not only that, how far you are from the action, all right? You, and the way to think of this is to think of it like, a, uh, like if you were the cameraman, or the, camera, the camera person, the camera lady, you know, you were the camera person taking the picture. Where is the camera? <coughs> Okay, so let's, let's think about where is the camera in this story? Where, where does it start? What? Johnny's house with his mom. Johnny's talking to his mom. Okay, so, so where is the camera? It's at the house. Okay, and is this a wide angle shot or a close in shot? Why do you say that? Because it's just him and his mom. Just him and his mom in the conversation, right? Okay, so that's a close-up shot, right? 
Then he goes down. Uh, sometimes when I tell this story, I have him stop along the way and <laughs> throwing stones in the lake, you know, like little boys do, and skipping the rocks, you know, and that kind of stuff. Um, where does the camera person go? Follows Johnny. Follows Johnny, right? Follows Johnny with the crowd. He scoots in between, so the cameraman's following him as he gets up close to Jesus, right? So the, the camera has forgotten all the rest of the crowd for the time being. And it's just Johnny listening to Jesus, right? And then when, it's, when you get to the, you know, the later in the day, maybe the camera backs up a little bit because the disciples are coming up, but you can still hear the conversation. So it's not, not a wide angle shot where you can't hear anybody, you know? It's, uh, it's still close enough up, right? And the camera stays with Johnny the whole time, right? Goes back with him back to his house, right? And so he, he's the, the point of view is uh, with him. The voice is that of the narrator telling the story from Johnny's perspective. Now, that can be in a very effective way of telling stories, actually. Um, a very famous story, The Death of a Mockingbird, um, is told from the viewpoint, it's a famous story about prejudice in the South, uh, is told from the viewpoint of a little boy, or no, no, a little girl. It's a little girl who does not uh, understand everything that's going on. But you as the person reading it, an adult reading that story, you would, you would recognize where she describes things and you have a higher understanding than the child. See, So point of view is really interesting stuff. So actions, have five characteristics. Now again, this gets a little complicated, so don't worry about it so much, but if you were in class with me, you would really go into this in depth, all right? Uh, who does the action? What the action is, a short description. How long it takes to tell it, that's called duration. How many times it is told, that's called frequency. And when the action is told, the order in which it is told. Now, um, I, I almost hesitate to do this, but I will tell you um, just for the interesting background of early, early, gotta fix that, early Christianity. Okay, every story has two kinds of time. Hmm, we call it story time and discourse time. Now, story time is the easier one to, to understand. Story time is historical time within the story world. Do you remember yesterday your story? And I said, stay in the story world. Don't come back out of the story world. It's confusing if you come back out of the story world. You're telling the story. I enter the story world as Johnny. You know, and Johnny, we're watching Johnny and all through his experience. When did that happen? Long, long time ago. It happened 2,000 years ago. Right, right. But we're telling the story like it hap was happening right in front of our eyes. Right. That's what makes it, you know, interesting. Well, that's the historical time and the his the story world, the place, the time, you know, the culture, all those things. We're kind of entering this story world. Now, the interesting thing is, is that telling the story, we're actually set free from time. You and I are prisoners of time. We can't go back to yesterday. We can't go to tomorrow. We're only here in the present. But in a story, we can escape, right? 
Because what we can do is we can tell the story that came from the past. We could tell a fictional story that was going to happen in the future, right? And we can tell it very quickly. A thousand years passed. My goodness, that was one sentence, right? Or we could take and start, you know, you see those pictures where the guy is falling down. Oh, the, the, the lady knocks over the glass of wine on her white carpet, you know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's slow motion, right? It's, it, all this slow motion. Okay. So story time is the historical time in the story world, but discourse time is that part we have control of, where we can shorten it, we can lengthen it, we can stretch it out and everything. And it has these three characteristics. How long you take to tell it. When I was telling the part, let's see, well, most of this story was told in what would be called tableau. And you were there watching it take place. See? Of course, you can summarize. Jesus went across the lake. Well, how long did it take him to go across the lake? Well, several hours, probably, right? We told it in one sentence. That's summary, you see. Tableau is where we describe it as you're like you're watching it happen, okay? We can also stretch it out, slow it all down. We'll see an example of this tomorrow. All right, stretch it all out, okay? Um, or we can actually stop the action. Like when Jesus is in the temple and they say to him, uh, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. They <laughs> say it took 46 years to build this temple. <laughs> and you're going to raise it up in three days and then the action stops. It's like freeze frame. And the narrator steps on and he says, he was talking about the temple of his body. And his disciples understood after he was raised from the dead. And now the action starts up again. Was anybody in the temple that had heard that voice? You know, you'd be like, what was that? <laughs> Did you hear that voice? You know? No, they didn't hear it. You know? this is that, that's what we call a pause. See? You can stop the action and fill in details. Or there can even be ellipsis where the story world's time continues but it's not even narrated at all. You say, well, how would you even know? Later on, later on, you might discover, oh, there was something happened there, right? There was a skip, you know, in the, in, in the storytelling. All right, again, if this is too complicated, don't worry, all right. So there's so many things that you can do. You can shorten it down, you can tell it like you're watching it, you can stretch it out, you can pause and give them extra information, or you can even, you know, not tell them at all. Frequency is really interesting because you can tell it more than once. At least twice, right? When, when are those two times? During one. During, during when it happened. And then when he told his mother. And then when he told his mother, right? So you see, the, that's what we call a repeat, right? And there's a variety of these. I won't go into all that because there's a variety of those. But, but repeating things helps to emphasize them, right? So when he retold it to his mother, which is exactly what you would expect him to do, especially when his mother accused him of stealing, you know, then uh, you get a re-emphasis on the story. Now, from the perspective of the little boy, right? And how excited he is that Jesus used his lunch to feed 5,000. I mean, when you stop and pause it, it's really a beautiful story, isn't it? Mm -hmm. About a, a little boy 
giving his lunch to Jesus. I mean, what, why did he do that? It's, it's, just, it's really interesting, okay? Order, we'll talk about that more tomorrow. So duration has to do with how much time or space on the page we give to describing a certain action. We can give a very short time for telling an action. Jesus said 5,000 men plus women and children. <clears throat> well, that's, that's the whole story right there, right? <laughs> One sentence, right? So that's what we call summary. Or we can give a very long time to describe an action, telling the entire story of the feeding of the 5,000 with all the details, right? We can slow action down so that it appears as though we are watching it happen step by step or in slow motion. An example of this in our story is Jesus' dialogue with the disciples about how to feed the crowd, right? Now, I didn't go into that much today, but you know, you can say how, he talked to Nathaniel. Do you have this in the Gospel of John? He's like, Nathaniel, where are we going to get bread for all these people? And Nathaniel's like, wow, 200 denarii wouldn't even feed them a little bit. Well, see what you have, right? Slows it down a little bit. We can even leave action out with its presence only implied by something else that happens. We can also stop the action so the narrator can fill in some important detail. You see, you are in control. You have lots of tools that you can use. I'm just illustrating here so you can recognize that there are many ways to tell a story. And the usual way, well, let's see, I think I have more here. Well, the usual way to tell a story in an exciting manner is just the way I did it today, tableau, where it's like you're watching it happen. You are there watching it happen. Too many storytellers make the mistake of using too much summary. Too much summary. Too many short little statements about actions that you could really stretch out. I mean, this is what Eric B. Hare did, I think, with uh, many of his stories. I mean, the, the whole thing with the girl that got bitten her finger, she got her hand bitten by the snake. I mean, he stretches that thing out, you know, with all of the things that they do to the little girl. And, well, the beans in the nose yesterday thing, right? You know, all stretched out, <coughs> which emphasizes the problem that you're trying to solve. So. We can stop the action, let the narrative fill in. Okay, frequency has to do with how many times we tell an action. Most actions are told only once, but we can refer back to an action numerous times to emphasize it. We did that today, right? But we can also give the impression of a repeated action done over and over. The disciples kept on handing out the bread and the fish. We had that today. That's called iterative, actually. He kept breaking it, they kept taking it out, you know, and doing things like that, okay? So, how to use frequency and duration. You want the central crisis of your story to have special emphasis, okay? Now, what was the central crisis of this story today? Hungry people. Hungry people and, well, that was the problem really, the hungry people. Yeah, and, and how I emphasize that was, Johnny's watching what Jesus is doing, right? You notice that? He kept breaking it and breaking it. That was iterative. He kept breaking it and breaking it. Johnny's eyes got bigger and bigger. She saw what was happening. This is amazing. You know, and you, you give your facial expression. I mean, all those things, what's going to happen is all the little kids are going to be, <laughs> you know, they're going to be right with you, you know. And it's not just the little kids. All the adults will be with you too. I can tell you from long experience of doing this that, People are like, you know, there was, oh, I'm just like standing there watching the story happen, right? It is usually told as though you were right there watching it happen or even stretching it out. You may want to refer back to help emphasize its importance, but mostly it is gripping dialogue and striking actions 
with facial expressions and your motion of your hands that draw attention to the crisis point of the story. Point of view contains several characteristics. The camera angle from which the story is told, the ideology of the narrator. Now, you say, what? Ideology, who's the good guys and who are the bad guys in this story, okay? In when the, first, the first day we had Nebuchadnezzar, who's the good guys? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who's the bad guys? All the rest of them. All the rest of them, <laughs> but especially Nebuchadnezzar, right? Now, did anybody have to tell you, ooh, Nebuchadnezzar is bad? Did anybody have to tell you that? No. no. Did anybody have to tell you Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are the heroes? Did anybody have to tell you that? No. It, it's so apparent within the story <coughs> that it's, it's, it's obvious. No, you don't have to grasp at that at all. I teach Revelation to students at the seminary. I'll be teaching here starting next month. And uh, uh, sometimes I have them, I say, make me a list of five of the good guys in the book of Revelation and five of the bad guys. But then tell me how you knew, how you knew. And it, in most cases, almost throughout the whole book, it's very easy to tell, very easy to tell. Red happens to be a color of bad guys and white happens to be a color connected with good guys, right? And uh, the ideology is inherent within the story, but uh, unless you stop and analyze it, you don't, you don't notice it, right? So you picked out your shirt deliberately this morning? With red? <laughs> okay. So the person in whose voice the story is told today was Johnny, and that illustrated this idea of point of view. In today's story, the story was told from the point of view of the little boy, gave it on to Jesus. The camera follows Johnny throughout the story as he listens to and interacts with Jesus. The narrator is telling the story, but through Johnny's eyes, the narrator's ideology is clearly in favor of Jesus as the Son of God who performs miracles that help people. Jesus is the good guy of this story. So look at the story you have been working on, determine what are the central actions and how they play into your plot, determine the point of view and camera angle of your story and the narrator's ideology. Now most of us, we don't, we don't like think about all this stuff. You know, we, we, just, we just do it. And if you're a good storyteller, you have been given a natural gift by God to be able to tell stories in a way that grabs people. Now, we can all do better, right? And so actually learning some of these details can help you to, um, to make your stories come alive more, you know, make them more powerful. All right, so how do these details help you understand how to tell your story better? Are there ways to improve the focus by use of duration and frequency or shift in point of view? and practice your story. I think that's my last slide, yeah. Okay, are there any questions you want to ask me before we have you tell stories? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what you do. Right, I think so, but well, what do you do to transition? All right, so what, when I was telling you the story of, of uh, Jesus in the temple, how did you know it was the narrator's voice when I, when I paused? Yeah, my voice returned to my own. I actually whispered. You can do that, you know. Well, of course, actually, what you can do is you can kind of stop the action, you know. So if I was, um, if I was telling a story, you can, you can say, uh, Johnny ran into his house, and, and, and he went out and he started walking down the shore of the lake. Now, Johnny lived near the Sea of Galilee, and the eastern side is much drier than the other side, and that's where Johnny was walking that day. That's the narrator stepping in to tell you details. 
you don't want to do this unless it's really necessary. Yeah. You don't want to do that unless it's really necessary because it detracts from the, and you were there, kind of a thing. You know, it's almost like, you know, you guys are too stupid to know this, so I got to tell you this now. You know, I mean, the, you don't you don't want to do that too much. You know, that that, that that doesn't that doesn't come across it maybe as well. Yeah. Now, by the way, I had somebody ask me, is it okay to read stories uh, for children's story? It is. Um, I don't recommend it as much. I think it's better to tell it without without reading it. But if you read it, you've got to read well. You've got to become the characters again. You've got to do these things now. I also teach people how to read the scriptures well. Have you heard bad scripture readings before? Uh-huh. <laughs> Too many times. All right. Um, I have a little acronym that I put up for that. And this would fit with reading a story to, uh, to, to children as well. S has to do with the speed with which you read it. T is the tone of your voice. A is the accent, words you accent. V is the volume. And E is enunciation, pronunciation. So um, how fast you read it, the tone quality, there should be a change in the tone quality, the words you emphasize, the volume, it should always be loud enough. When I was a college student, I gave a uh, talk at a retirement home and afterwards, uh, a lady came up to and said, young man, speak up. <laughs> you know, now of course, she was probably hard of hearing, but uh, uh, it was a lesson, an important lesson to speak up. So what you're saying is scripture time just before the sermon shouldn't be enough to put you to sleep before it starts? Exactly. You know, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I want, I want people when they, you know, you shouldn't read John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That was too low a volume. It was all the same tone. There were no pauses. You know, it, it, it wasn't catching their attention. Instead, I should say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice the change in the tone and things like that. Those are all important aspects. Like I say, I, I would have, um, maybe next year I should do a, 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 a seminar on how to read the scripture well. <laughs> but I have a quick question. Yes. Sorry to digress, but um, this commentary y'all were. Yes, ma'am. Is it still in the King James Version or, or New King James Version. I could tell you discussions we've had on such things. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, they need to get the, the, be honest the it, it actually will have two versions of the Bible next to each other, the New King James and the ESV, the English Standard Version. Some of us were really in favor of the ESV. That would be me. But uh, we had others who were like, no, no, we should do New King James. Thank I could talk to you more. At I can go on and on about that. But that's not this, yeah. Good question. Do you... I, I, that you don't really use physical props that much. Not that much. Sometimes I will use a prop. You know, I did use a prop the first day, a chair, right? And, uh, you know, so there'll, there'll be times when I'll, I'll use a prop. But you can, you can, um, you can, you do it. I, you can do it without props at all. You know, today Jesus was breaking the bread, wasn't he? You, it's like you could see the bread. Right, right, and he heaped up his basket, you know, you could see that. 
I didn't have to have a prop there to, for them to see. You want to engage their imagination. Important point is that you need to think about your audience and the level where they are. And frankly, this is good for pastors as well when you're preaching. You know? Um, well, well, there's theology is wonderful, but uh, you can tell a story. Okay, but uh, what I'm saying is, uh, for instance, I gave a um, I gave a sermon that dealt with the uh, seventh commandment: don't commit adultery. But I never, I never mentioned that. Okay, so we got another story here coming. Well, my name is Lorna Schoen, and I go to the Gladwin Church, and I love to tell stories. When I was a little girl, six going on seven, I had a little brother five and a little sister four years old. But you know, they were so close together in age and they played together and had so much fun. But I was a little bigger and I wanted something different to play with, but I didn't have a playmate that was my age. So I was feeling a little bit lonely and we have recently moved into a new house and there were some things there, I'll tell you about them later, but I wanted someone my size to play with who was interested in the same things <coughs> I was. School was out, the summertime was just coming along and my mother's sister came to visit and she brought her boys, Richard and Paul. Paul was already seven and Richard was eight. Mm, now I had somebody closer to my age to play with. So the next morning, so we were thinking about things to do, Daddy said, now children, when you go out to play today, don't go in the barn. There are bees in there. So after we had breakfast, we wandered around looking for something to do. And I'd lived there just a little while, and I knew there was one thing outside. There was the catbird nest. So I said, well, let's go check the catbirds. We'll see if there's still any babies in the nest. So we walked across the porch and then into the, down the side of the house, and here was a big lilac bush. So we stood on tiptoe to look over into the lilac bush. Baby birds had all flown away already. So that was no fun. So we began looking around some more. What shall we find to do? There wasn't much to do out in the yard. We wandered here and we wandered there and we looked here and we looked there. And it wasn't too long before we discovered that we were a little bit near the barn. But Daddy had said, don't go in the barn. There are bees in there. Remember, Richard was a little bit bigger. And we had curiosity. I had never been in that barn. I remember it was an old barn. And it had a big, wide front door. And that's all I knew about that barn. But Richard had a big curiosity. He was bigger, remember? So he marched right up to the front door. And he looked around and he said, I don't see any bees. I stayed behind a little bit because Daddy had said, don't go in the barn. There are bees in there. And I knew that when my Daddy said something, it was for good reason. I had learned that 
it was a good idea to pay attention to what Daddy said. So I didn't go in that barn. Instead, I stood right by the door and just looked around, <laughs> looked around to see what I could see. I didn't see very much. It was not very light in there. There weren't that, I didn't see any big windows or anything like that. It was just this big wide door that let in the light. It's probably used for horses to draw wagons of hay up there. But Richard noticed something in the middle of that barn. On the barn floor was something there. I didn't know what it was at first, but he walked right in that barn and he went in there to this thing that was standing there. Lo and behold, it was an old car seat and it had springs in it. So Richard stepped on that car seat. He began jumping up and down. <laughs> jumping up and down. He was having a pretty good time when all of a sudden Richard began, ah! And he ran and started running toward the house as fast as he could go. And I thought, what is the matter with Richard? It wasn't too long before I found a little something in the back of my neck that didn't feel very good. We all followed the house to Richard to see what was going on with Richard. When we got there, we discovered that Richard had bee stings all over his chest and all over his back. So when Daddy said, stay out of the barn. All right, tell me what you liked about this story. Yes. <laughs> repetition. Absolutely. She had repetition. I almost thought she was going to have ellipsis as well, where, where the sound effects, yes. It was well done, a well done story, Lorna. You have physical limitations, but you didn't let them limit you. Yes, now this is another, this is another point, actually. Um, you have a quiet voice a bit. I mean, you did a good, great job. It was, you know, there was motion in it and change of tone for different people. Don't go in the barn. Notice the repetition from the father. And uh, it, it was really interesting telling you how you, you, uh, you kind of foreshadowed, actually we call foreshadowing, where you show, when we, father said, don't go in the barn, what did you know was going to happen? <laughs> They're going to go in the barn, you know? <laughs> There's bees in there, what's going to happen? They're going to get stung by the bees. But you foreshadowed that. But your voice is soft, so you want to make sure that you use a microphone when you tell a story. Yeah, but it's true. You need to put it up, up close enough. We had here... We had here a quartet that sang one of the first nights, okay? And they all stood around one microphone. I turned to my wife and I said they should have had four microphones. Yes. I'm telling you, it makes an incredible difference. They sound like, whoa, that's like the King Herald, you know, when you do that. But when you're all standing around one mic, you just can't get the same effect. So you need a microphone. What else did you notice? Yeah, so, yes, we, and there wasn't any fun in that, you know, in the empty nest. Yeah, it was good. There was over here, yeah. Yeah, her, her pauses created mm -hmm. suspense. Yeah. yeah, pauses created suspense. Yeah, these are, these are all good points. You're, you're a good storyteller. You did have a little issue, and I saw you pause a little bit at the end as to, I was, I was watching for that, you know. Um, how else could you do this? You could, you could, you could have uh, one of the story characters talk to another one. Boy, I sure learned that we ought to obey mom and dad and not go in that barn. You know, you don't have to say always obey mom and dad, but you can just tell the lesson that's learned. Two characters talking to one another rather than you, you know, ending the story and then bringing them. Yeah. Or, or the mom who's taking care of the bee things. 
What did you learn? What did you What did you learn today? Yeah. It's like she left the, the, the cliffhanger when she said that, you know, with, with, with Richard was, well, you know, he bounced it and then all of a sudden he was, and the scream was awesome, by the way. <laughs> and he took off up to the house, and I thought this up, she, she left that off. That she could maybe round it out with, you know, going back in the house and saying, I got this, I got this thing, and that's where maybe mom could come in and say, didn't daddy say? Yeah. There's, there's a number of ways you can do that. But it was an excellent story, and you've got just that natural kind of feel for it. All right, that's all for we got for today. And um, tomorrow is our last day. We'll, we'll talk about the interesting aspect of time in stories. Uh, another story, more opportunity. So if, if you've been holding back, you know, and thinking like, <coughs> I don't know if I could do this, you know. Yeah, you're among friends, you know, you're among friends. I'll do it You'll do tomorrow too, okay. So I, I know that some of you have been kind of like, I don't know, you know. Just be brave, just, just, you know. I mean, really, are you gonna see all these people again anyways? You know, did you have something that we need to? Oh, this, okay. All right, so we're gonna end with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the fun we've had today, thinking about stories, how to disciple our young people in, in, in church. Thank you for the wonderful stories we've heard and the opportunity to think about how to sto tell stories well. Bless everyone in this classroom, we pray, and our families and our churches. In Jesus' name, amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.